The purpose for which forgiveness is given to you and me is in order that you and I might live, breathe, have our being in the presence of God and not so shrivel up that we have no life at all. Your sins have been forgiven. How do you respond? How do you act? How important is it to you to know that those sins are forgiven? Welcome to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. When we turn to the 32nd Psalm today, we'll take a look at verse 1 as well as Psalm 5, verses 1 through 11. A look at the dance of deliverance by David. Here's a man who understood what it meant to have his sins forgiven, and his response is really quite remarkable, a response that you and I would do well to emulate. Let's check in with our teacher and pastor, Jessica Stand, as we examine the forgiveness of sins and what it means to honor God in those forgiveness of sins that we're looking at. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. I want us to think about the forgiveness of sins, the wonder and the awe and the soul-humbling reality of the forgiveness of sins. This should never be lost on the child of God. It should preoccupy your thoughts as a primal doctrine. It should capture your emotions as a stream of living water. The forgiveness of sins ought to be for you, child of God, a master key to your spiritual life, your liberty, your growth, and your productivity in Christ. The forgiveness of sins is a massive, massive doctrinal truth that you must know. We use a term in the Christian vernacular, do you know God? in the pardon of your sins. And, and we use that terminology because we have come to discover that until you know him in the pardon of your sins, you really don't. And frequently I believe and have observed, and, and I trust this is the reason why I'm prompted to go this way, is that the Christian does not really invest himself or herself enough time to really know what it means to be forgiven of your sins. So I want to talk about this today, and I'm praying that the Spirit of God would bless you in your understanding of what it means to be forgiven. Now, we are hovering again over a massive doctrinal truth. Have you ever taken the time to examine that term and draw it out in terms of understanding what it means to be forgiven? And I know that some of us have had to practice that on a horizontal level. Have you forgiven someone? Has someone forgiven you? Well, in a real sense, that's not the way you're going to understand forgiveness of sins, right? So there's a Bible verse that says this, only God can forgive sins. Right, and we believe that, right? And yet on a horizontal level, remember what Jesus said, if you don't forgive others their sins or trespasses, then your father won't what? Right, so what is this thing about forgiveness of sins that is so important for the believer, the pardon of his sins, the pardon of her sins, the, 
the, the benefits that come out of the forgiveness of sins. Well, let me put it like this. As we think about the forgiveness of sins, what we are thinking about is the way that infinite wisdom has determined to have a relationship with you. God in his infinitude, knowing everything, has determined that the only way he in his perfect, holy, spotless, sinless, sin-hating nature can have a relationship with you is by forgiving you of your sins. The only way a God who in the perfections of his understanding, penetrating into the depths of eternity, looking everywhere he possibly could to find another kind of way to have a relationship with you, found none. And here's what he said. If I'm going to have Jesse for all eternity, I've got to forgive him of his sins. I've got to forgive him of his sins because I'm holy and he's sinful. Isn't that amazing? See, and so what I want to do is I want to help you understand how to avoid the notion of thinking about forgiveness of sins as sort of a foregone conclusion for which you don't have to think about. It really should be the foundation of your happy dance every day. That you walk in a state of forgiveness of sins with a God who must not just get rid of your sins. And see, when we work through the whole issue of the forgiveness of sins, what are we talking about? We're talking about a massive requisite work that God did to bring about forgiving you of your sins. Do you know what God had to do? God had to first look upon you in eternity. He had to set his face on you. And then in looking upon you from eternity, choose you in Christ. That's what God had to do. He had to place you in Christ. And you know what we call that? Grace. God had to look upon you in grace, place you in Christ, and determine that in order to have you in the context of the forgiveness of sins, he had to redeem you. Right, so this God who chose you in Christ chose to redeem you because you were a slave of sin. You were in bondage to sin. You love sin. It's your nature. It's mine, right? And before we ever came to God, did God not have to do something to bring us to himself? Right, so watch this. He had to first see you in eternity in his son. That is called choosing you unto salvation through Jesus Christ his Lord. Then he had to grace you with purchasing you off the slave block of sin. You are a redeemed person if you're forgiven. Am I making some sense? In other words, forgiveness is not just a fiat declaration. All right, I'll let you go. That would be, that would make God a monster of injustice, wouldn't it? So what what does God do to forgive you? He chooses you, he graces you, he redeems you. And when God redeems you, guess what he does? In redeeming you, he justifies you. Why? Because even though he purchased you back off the slave block of sin, you're still a mess. You're still a wretched, hostile transgressor of God's law. So not only did he grace you in looking upon you in Christ, He redeemed you and paid the price. Then he justified you so that he made you right with his law. You guys hear where I'm coming from? And upon justifying you, you know what he did? He then began to reconcile. Now, reconciliation is when two hostile parties are made at peace again. 
See, the Bible tells us that you and I were alienated from God by our wicked works and by a wicked mind, and you live like that. We all know what it's like to be hiding from God, don't we? And then when God draws us through the gospel, the message of reconciliation drawing us through the gospel, we come to discover that God chose us, that God redeemed us, that God justified us, that God reconciled us to himself in the person of his son Jesus. Now watch this. So that he could have a relationship with us on the basis of the forgiveness of sins. That's a lot of work to forgive you of your sins. Here's what I'm saying as we sum it up. The forgiveness of sins is merely the expression of a massive work of of grace that God did for you. The forgiveness of sins is a massive work of grace that God did for you. In fact, this is the way the Bible would put it. In Ephesians chapter 1, pull this up, Ephesians 1, 7, and the apostle says this a number of times in the New Testament around the subject of the forgiveness of sins. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, having uh, chosen us in Christ, he says, you and I have been, what, redeemed through his blood, even the what? Forgiveness of his sins according to the riches of his what? Now, Paul says that several times so that when you and I think about forgiveness of sins, always think about the consequence of a purchase. Whenever you think about God forgiving you of your sin, think about this. He paid an awesome price for you. Whenever you think about any of your sins forgiven, realize they were what? Paid for. That's what the term redeemed means. And what we want to do in our study today is begin to put some value on terms that we use in our theological vernacular that don't always come home in a way by which um, we appreciate the gospel or the grace of God in our life, and certainly not concepts that are so rich and replete through the Bible, the forgiveness of sins. How radically important it is wherever you find forgiveness of sins found in Scripture, redemption was its cost. We see in the Genesis narrative, I want to use a couple of examples to milk this while we prepare to get into our text in Psalm 32. Our first parents fell into sin by violating God's law, didn't they? And what does God do? He comes hunting them down, doesn't he? And our ladies have learned this. If you're going to get the gospel right, God's the one seeking you. You're not seeking God. We have a glorious heavenly father who seeks us out, does he not? God seeks us out, but what does he do when he finds us? He lets us know we're transgressors of his law. That's the first work of the Spirit in John 16, 8, right? And when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will convince the world of what? Watch this, child of God. If you are walking around in the grace, the mechanism, the process, the blessing of forgiveness, it is a foregone conclusion that you are a sinner because only sinners need forgiveness. See, this is a sinner's gospel. It doesn't work for people who are not sinners. And so for you and I, we must understand that when we talk about being forgiven by God, and we want to work that out over four sermons at least to understand the practical workings of forgiveness from heaven, we have to acquiesce. We have to yield. Yea, confess and admit. What are we by nature? That is an essential component to experiencing the forgiveness of sins. And so when we see in the scriptures, we have been redeemed, that is the forgiveness of sins. It's said over and over again in the Genesis narrative, what did God do? He brought Adam and Eve to himself after they hid. He 
he, he caused them to acknowledge their sin. And then what did he do? He covered their nakedness by the shedding of blood. Ah, there's the redemption price. And then he forgave them so that they could move forward in their everyday life. See, the purpose for which forgiveness is given to you and me is in order that you and I might live, breathe, have our being in the presence of God and not so shrivel up that we have no life at all. God let them go. That's one of the fundamental meanings of forgiveness is to let you go. If I got a sinner in the house, don't you want to be let go, set free? Every time forgiveness is experienced impactfully, there's a liberation that takes place. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Their second son, we call them the nation of Israel. They're in bondage to Egypt, right? How does God come in? I'm going to press that home and a point in the text in a moment. He comes into Egypt and he redeems them out of Egypt, doesn't he? By an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, power brings a whole nation out through the Red Sea. There's your price again. And once he brings them out, what does he do? He justifies them freely by his grace by bringing them under law and gospel so he can lead them to the promised land. Is that not right? So everywhere forgiveness is found, reconciliation is the basis. Justification is the work wrought. Redemption is the price paid. Grace is the disposition towards it. And it's all because God looked upon you in Christ. Now, what I want us to do today is consider the forgiveness of sins in the life of a believer. It's certainly true that all men need to be forgiven. It's true that um, uh, if you and I die in our sins, we're going to hell. We do believe that doctrine. Now, let me make this very plain right now. Not all men are forgiven. Not all people are forgiven. Not all people will live and die and ultimately be forgiven. You know, the Bible's clear on three categories of people, and that is the unbeliever who lives and dies in his sin will perish under the wrath of God, right? Whosoever believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be what? Damned. There's another category of people who will not be forgiven, and those are the persons who blaspheme the spirit of the living God. Our Lord said it in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, but he made it so pertinent in Mark's gospel, chapter 7, where he says, all manner of sin will be forgiven men. Sin against God the Father, sin against God the Son. But he that blasphemes the Holy Spirit, there will never be forgiveness in this life nor in the life to come. What are we understanding by that? That forgiveness is not a carte blanche given to anyone, anytime, anywhere. There's a final category of people for whom they need to be very careful that they don't miss out on the forgiveness of sins. Do you know who they are? Apostate Christians. These are the people whom God warned about all through the scriptures who drew near to God and at some point in their life began to abandon the gospel and reject the sacrifice of Christ and deny the exclusivity of his atoning work in their behalf and assuming then that they can be right with God another way than by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Ah, such a person is the enemy of God. So I want you to understand not all people are are forgiven. And when you read your Bible, I was doing this this week, and I want to make sure we get this out and we'll touch on it down the line. Do you know there are times in the Bible when God did not forgive people? I thought this was amazing when I re-examined and revisited it. 
God had Jeremiah in a tizzy of emotional uh, discomfort about Israel. And uh, Jeremiah's praying. And God said to Jeremiah, stop praying for them because I will not forgive their sins. And I thought, whoa, where did I hear that from before? I heard it in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 9. And then I heard it again in the book of Joshua, in Joshua 24, where Joshua said to the children of Israel, either serve ye the Lord God, who is truly the Lord God, or the idols on the other side of the river. And they said, we will serve the Lord God. And Jeremiah said, God, not Jeremiah, but Joshua said, God will not forgive you of your sins. I said, now what is that all about? You know what he was saying? You can't serve God and mammon too and experience the blessing of the forgiveness of sins. But there was another place that I heard it, and I want to put this out to you, and it's in Exodus 23, where God makes it clear that his son Jesus Christ is his Hashem, that is his representative, his angel, his messenger to lead his people into glory. And God told Israel that they better obey the voice of the angel of the Lord because my name is in him and he will not forgive you of your sins. I'm stopped in my tracks, aren't you? I'm stopped in my tracks. Do you know why? Because I, like you, am more inclined to think that God just will forgive you just because he wants to forgive you. And yet what I want you to understand today is that the vast majority of people will not make glory because their sins will not be forgiven because they fall in one of three camps. They mock God and say he doesn't even exist. They scorn the cross of Jesus Christ and says that's folly. And then you have the others who have come and found that the Lord is not good and they left him with their own way. And then you have this small group of people that I don't particularly know if I've ever met, nor you, who have blasphemed the Holy Ghost. These are profound warnings in the Bible, are they not? Profound warnings in the Bible for which immediately I would encourage you, along with myself, to say, Lord, let me not fall in either three of those categories. Help me to honor the forgiveness of sins. That's what we're getting ready to do. Can we do that today? What we want to do is hold up. Remember, honor is to hold something up, to set it out there, to give it worth and give it value, to give it estimation, to give way to it, to give it the worth and weight that it deserves. Let's honor the forgiveness of sins today by looking at how God's servant one day found himself in a bad way with God. The only thing that delivered him was the forgiveness of sins. Psalm 32 is going to be our text. And again, our message is in honor of the forgiveness of sins. And I want to just look at verses 1 and 2 to show you how it opens up. And then we're going to actually deal with points 2 and 3 and then come back to point 1 in our close today. Now, if you know the psalmist, you love the psalmist because the only way you can know the, uh, love him is to know him. And, and what I mean by that is the chief of the psalms is David. Would you guys agree? There were other psalmists, of course, but David wrote a large portion of the psalms. And the psalms that David wrote are so popular and familiar with us that they endear us to David because we have discovered that David was two things. David was the apple of God's eye, and he makes us jealous. But also, David was a real sinner like your pastor, and that makes me glad. 
Psalm 32 can be entitled many different ways. And we've dealt with this more fully in the uh, winter, uh, summer studies around Psalm 32. Um, and if you want the more fuller development of all uh, 11 verses, you can go into our archive. I just want to lift up some things in our text to begin to help us appreciate what David wants us to do right now. This would be called point number one in your outline, the dance of deliverance by David. What does that look like? What does a brother that's finding himself dancing in the presence of God with God right now um, as an expression of being delivered, delivered, redeemed, set free, unbound and loose do? What, how does that sound in the mouth of David? It sounds like verse 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit is no guile. Child of God. Meditate on verse 1. Blessed. Do you see that? Blessed. The word means to be happy. The word means to be uh, fortunate. It means to be God fortunate. And the Hebrew term here is in what we call the plural form. And it really means blessings upon blessings upon blessings upon blessings for the man whose sins are forgiven. See, if you can get inside, what David is doing is just utterly rejoicing in the forgiveness of sins. Do you know who he's talking about? Himself. David is talking to God and saying, bless you, O God. Bless you. Bless you for the forgiveness of sins. Does anybody know what it's like to be in captivity to your sin? And then God come along and set you free and allows your feet to move again and dance for God's goodness in your life. This is what David is doing. He's saying blessings and blessings upon the person whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now, I want to come back later and deal with that verse because I don't think you fully really can appreciate it until it's unpacked. But here's what I would have you understanding. David is doing the jig right now. David is dancing with the greatest joy, and all the saints are watching David dance right now. And they're wondering what David is doing. David's a happy man because he has discovered that God is faithful. God is faithful to his servant who made a royal mess of his calling. He made a royal mess of his virtues. He made a royal mess of his blessings. Have you done that? Have you, have, you, have you found God to be so good to you that you messed up because he was so good to you? And that's what David does. So he opens up for us who are his audience watching David dancing. And we're going, why is David so happy? Well, it's because of verse 3. And I want us to understand verse 1 in light of verse uh, point 1 in light of point 2. If, in fact, the dance of deliverance by David is something we really need to peer into and understand, then why is David dancing? Point number two, the dilemma that led to his what? Right? You and I understand that we have in this rhythm of life dilemmas, don't we? You and I understand that every day is not good. You and I understand that some days we wake up on the right side of life, and then some days we wake up on the wrong side of life. Is that true? Right? I love the word dilemma. It, it simply means we are in a twix. Uh, but often we are in that twix because of something we did. But sometimes it's not because of what we did. It's simply because we live in a fallen world. Studying God's Word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. 
We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless.